Welcome to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and this is the fifth installment of season four, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Specifically, what Jesus says in Mark chapter three, he is guilty of an eternal sin. And to help me address this hard saying, I am joined by my friend, a faithful brother, Vincent Serrano. How are you, man? Doing fine, thank you. Man, it is a pleasure. We've been we've been talking probably for like an hour and a half, uh, just fellowshipping, catching up. It's been a while since we've talked, um, but I've I'm completely, I'm just encouraged um, to hear how you've been doing, how you've recovered, and uh, yeah. Let's, so for starters, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Vincent Serrano, and um, I was born in Oxnard, California. Married to my high school sweetheart for 30 years. We've been together since we've been uh, 15 and 14. I have three children and three grandchildren. I walked into church about 16 years ago, and by the grace of God, I haven't looked back. Amen. And what has kept you? His grace has kept me, definitely. Amen. What initially brought you to Saving Faith? Can you tell us a little bit about your salvation story? Yeah. Um, I was... Raised in a Catholic home, played sports, had good parents. Um, I started drinking at a young age, and I got into the entertainment industry, promoting nightclubs, clubs, raves, and DJing on the radio station. And that lifestyle led to abuse of alcohol and ultimately almost my my life. Um, and through my demise, you know, I, I stepped into a, a Christian church, and I eventually heard the gospel. And God opened my ears and opened my eyes to see and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So you, you're a pretty busy man. You have a pretty, pretty prominent ministry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I think four years into my faith, the pastor, at, my pastor at the time, he said, if God wanted to save you, then he, if God just wanted to save you, that as soon as you got saved, he would take you to heaven, but you have work to do. And I remember when he said that, it really struck my heart and knew that I, I knew that I needed to do something. You know, I had this idea and it started off by doing um, Christian concerts and rallies for the youth. And God kind of morphed it over the years. You know, um, he was my oldest son. Um, one, one day he's like, hey, dad, let's go feed the homeless on the avenue. And so we went out there. I don't know the the. The commands of Jesus start really just started um, hitting my heart, you know, to, to do unto the least of these. And when I read that, and then I read that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. I just really, the ministry really morphed into doing a lot of street outreach. And then over time, you know, I started seeing like, wait a minute, like we can't just go out there and do good things. Like we need to preach the gospel, you know, and that's one of his commands also. So that started happening. And then, you know, hey, what's the gospel? So we, you know, started learning that and started presenting the gospel to everybody that we would encounter on the streets. And then there was more to it, right? Make disciples. So then we started a Bible study and, you know, just really just trying to follow the commands thoroughly and um, because we love Jesus. So how is that? How is that ministry seen, like being able to see the things that you've seen, to, to have heard the stories that you've heard, witness people like coming to faith and growing in the knowledge and understanding of our Lord. How has what you've seen 
built up your faith, caused you to love more like Jesus would? You know, definitely being through the the ups and downs with ministry, even with discipleship. God's always growing us. The things that come with with uh, walking with other believers, and I could think of myself even. You know, the things that I've been through that were not maybe the the right type of discipleship, and how I affected my leader at one time. And um, I don't like the leadership talk, but it is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so me having to de- deal with my old me, right? It's just opportunities to grow. It's opportunities to grow in humility and long suffering and just really understanding where people are at. So to see people come in not knowing the truth of God's word and then being taught the truth of God's word and then seeing like those chains of re- religiosity break. Like literally people coming in thinking like, you know, I got to do this, 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 and I got to stop doing this, this, and this, but with no solution, with no, with not, with Jesus is not even in the equation. So when you, when you share the foundations of our faith and you can see that freedom come, and then you, then you see them proclaiming that truth to other people, mm-hmm. man, and then you see them at church when they, didn't, they were church hurt and they didn't want to go to church. It's just amazing. And all it does is strengthen my faith and underst- it makes me understand how good God is. And that it's not even me, but it's God working through me. And, um, you know, just sticking to the word, the word accomplishes what it set out to do. And it really gives me peace. So as you went through, as you've been going through uh, this ministry, uh, you said that that you are ministered to by the people's humility, how they're growing. It ministers to you and how people are becoming more and more bold. You know, some people who don't really necessarily preach the gospel very often you know they're becoming more and more bold to to share the good news with you know homeless people random people on the street um that you know obviously that must be super encouraging and it solidifies you and grounds your feet in the faith right and um that kind i kind of want to use that as a segue to the hard saying that we're going over today and i'll I'll explain why uh why that kind of ties into that here in a bit um but this hard saying oh let me backtrack a little bit so you in your story and everything that you've seen being involved in this ministry so far you've experienced a lot regarding the the forgiveness of sins right the the grace of god through the pouring out of his spirit and the grace of god through the sending of his son right you've experienced the the joys the points of growth through constantly meditating on that truth. So to hear the words come out of Jesus's mouth that there is one unforgivable sin is quite possibly one of the most shocking things in probably all of Christian doctrine, you know, in in all of the gospels. There's a lot of hard sayings in the Bible, but this one I think kind of flies at the face of everything we try to preach, right? The forgiveness of sins, like, hey, you would no matter and I'm I'm sure you 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 meet a lot of, you know, roughed up people, right? That's one of the things that you or that you know that we all preach is that it doesn't matter what you've done, no matter what sins you were involved with, no matter what sins you're involved in now, you can still experience the forgiveness of 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 your sins through the shedding of Christ's blood, right? And your trust and faith in him. So to to hear that Jesus says that there is an unforgivable sin, one sin that if you commit that you will never ever be forgiven of, it flies at the face of everything we try to teach and preach. 
And so I just want to begin with the, the reading of the passage uh, in Mark 3, verses 28 through 30, and I'll just read that here. So Mark 3, 28 starts with, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. The fact that Jesus, the one who died for us to experience this forgiveness and be able to stand face to face to the God, face to face uh, before the God of the universe, is the one that says, "Like, hey, there's one sin that you will never be forgiven for. That my shed blood. I'm not saying that it won't be capable of forgiving. That it just, it just won't be. My blood won't cover this. That seems pretty hard. And so, before before we get into the bla- what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means, uh, can you answer for us what who is the Holy Spirit? Yes, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead that convicts the world of sin, that guides us into all truth, that is our comforter, um, and He works in us to do what's pleasing to the Father through sanctification. So the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin, and so what type of relationship does He has does He have with believers? Oh, so we we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you're born again, the the Spirit of God resides inside of you. In the Old Testament, the whole the Holy Spirit came upon him. And I think about you know in the, in the book of Acts, where Jesus said, "It's better that I go that He may come, the Helper." We know that He came like a mighty rushing wind, and now He indwells the believer. And um, I love how Peter said, "It's for you, your children, and your children's children." This is the promise. So that's who the Holy Spirit is, right? He's the the person of of the Trinity, third person of the Trinity, and he Jesus had to die so that we may receive the Holy Spirit. So it's pretty important because it's involved directly tied to Jesus's ministry, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So obviously, the Holy Spirit is is important because he dwells in us, guides us, uh, convicts us, ministers to, ministers to us, and comforts us. Um, as well as teaching us as we go through our daily lives, being conformed further into the image of his son. Yes. And so what exactly did Jesus mean when he taught us this unforgivable sin? Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the context and why that matters? Yeah, so Jesus, was, Jesus said some things to, to, the, to the Pharisees, to the people of Israel, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to. I don't speak unless um, he tells me what to speak. I don't do unless he tells me to do. And Jesus was basically out there claiming his deity that he is God because only God can forgive sins, only God can raise the dead. And he was doing these mir- these miracle signs and wonders in front of the, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees still equated that to that being done by the, by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. And then Jesus went and told him, you know, a kingdom divided cannot stand. He gave them reasons why that can't be true. So basically, they hardened their heart. They had the truth. The kingdom of God was at hand. They had the truth right before the Messiah was right there. And yet they still denied him. So he was telling them, that's the, that's the sin. You could blaspheme the Son of Man, but you cannot blaspheme the Spirit because the Spirit bears witness of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Jesus says this when... You know, he, he heals, I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't think it's in Mark, but in the Gospel of Matthew, he he heals a blind man, blind and deaf man, I believe. 
And everyone knew this. Everyone knew that that man was blind and deaf for a long time. There was no, you know, it wasn't a sleight of hand. It wasn't Jesus trying to be sneaky. He healed that man and everyone knew that something had happened. And so when the Pharisees caught wind that he that he was that he he was completely healed, they ascribed Jesus's miracles to the work of uh, the Prince of Demons, the Prince of the the demonic realm. And I think it's it's awesome to to see how Jesus responds to those accusations. And like you said, a kingdom divided cannot stand. And so Jesus himself is pointing out their their logical like inconsistencies. Like, hey, you're just you're just not making sense right now. Like you have lost all sense of reason and logic by saying that I am a worker of the devil casting out a demon or healing someone. And so, yeah, so he calls out their logical inconsistencies and by refusing and by the Pharisees refusing to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah sent from God, they began to utter foolishness. And that's where where that that passage leads. And oftentimes when we refuse, when we have incredible evidence that Jesus is indeed who he says he is, and we refuse to believe it, we refuse to believe in him and his authority, that's when we begin to lose all sense of reason and logic as well. You know, we start believing, you know, like the world. I mean, we can just observe the world and see how foolish some of their thinking and some of their conclusions are. That passage had me think of a couple of scriptures. So one of them was in uh, Hebrews, right? For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And then in Romans 1, 18, it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And they, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Though everything God made, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So the the Pharisees saw that he was doing miracles by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and yet they still rejected him. They they brought accusations. So blaspheme, I wanted to point out that blasphemy is something that is said or even written. And um, do people, can a believer do that today? I believe any born again believer will not do that today. Mm -hmm. I don't think they can do that today. And I also believe that blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I think will be hard to do because we got to look at the context of that passage. So they personally, I witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They had the, 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 the law, they had the prophets they had so much evidence the Messiah was standing before them, and yet they still rejected him. Yes, the Holy Spirit moves to the church today, but they personally eyewitnessed the Messiah amongst them, and they rejected him. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would be very hard today, you know. And I would say if you're even questioning that, that's a good sign that you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit because you have a desire to, to know if you did. I mean, that's that's something that only the Holy Spirit could bring. He brings conviction. So I believe people that purpose in their heart not to believe and, and they deliberately keep doing it, I think that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love what, I love what Sam Storms 
um, says about this on his on his website. He writes an article about this, about what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, and if it's possible for believers to commit that sin today. And he says, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is willful, wide-eyed slandering of the work of the Spirit, attributing to the devil what was undeniably divine. These people had seen as clearly as anyone could see and understood as lucidly as anyone could understand that Jesus performed his miracles by the power of the Spirit. Blasphemy is essentially a persistent, lifelong rebellion in the face of inescapable and undeniable truth. So it is a blatant disregard of visible and prophetic evidence constantly. Like, like, like I mentioned before, they knew that this man was blind and deaf. That was undeniable. It was undeniable to the, to the, not to the culture, but like to the surrounding, you know, citizens. It was undeniable. And for them to deny that Jesus healed him, they were, they, they decided in their hearts to not believe in, yeah. in who Jesus said he was. So they're basically saying he was of the devil. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. That's blasphemy. Yeah. And he also says like he thinks the, the reason that, that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin is because it puts you beyond repentance. And therefore beyond forgiveness. So that's how we're saved, right? We repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus. And so when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to acknowledge Jesus for who he truly is, then at that point, when we refuse to repent, to turn away from our sins, then we're refusing to receive his forgiveness. And through that line of thought, it is an unforgivable sin. So believers, because they're indwelt, because they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they shouldn't fear, you know, possibly committing this sin, right? But I think what what kind of throws a wrench in all of it is when we read passages like Acts five with Ananias and Sapphira, where starting at verse three in Acts chapter five, it says, "But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land?" While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And depending on your translation, that that at the end of that verse, it says, you have not lied to men, but to the Holy Spirit. And so in that way, that becomes problematic. And so people are like, oh my goodness, like, am I at risk of, of committing this sin, this unforgivable sin? And like you mentioned before, they don't need to fear committing this sin because if they're aware and trying to be careful not to commit it, then they're in the spirit of repentance and they want to watch their words. They want to watch their actions. But honestly, like it doesn't surprise me that people, that, that that's their reaction. Their reaction is to kind of tiptoe because we as human beings, we like to make salvation about us. A lot. Yes. A lot of people, before they come to the knowledge of Christ, they try to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? But I just think about scriptures where Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they do. Right? So there's people that are deceived and there's people that are deceivers. And I believe that 
um, with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, like they already know in their heart, right? Because we're all fallen. We're all born haters of God. You know, we inherited that from Adam and the fall. So that's who we are by nature, right? So when God resurrects this dead man and the Spirit of God dwells inside of him, we don't, we won't do that. And if you brought up Ananias and Sapphira, do we sin as believers? Yes. I mean, but there's a sin doesn't that leads to death. I mean, because we know the one that leads to life. You look at Moses, right? Moses didn't make it in the in the natural, but we see him there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. So he did make it, but but he didn't make it in the natural. So I would say that, you know, we will sin. We will do things that are blasphemous. But, uh, but if you're a born-again believer, you did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and you could be secure in that salvation, how it says in um, Ephesians, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So we should walk knowing that we are adopted, that we are chosen, that we are sons, and we should walk that out with confidence. And we should pursue holiness because that's what a slave to righteousness does. He pursues holiness. And so I would not walk around, if you're a born-again Christian, I would not walk around scared about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I would just seek God, keep asking, keep knocking, and He's an answer. Yeah, and it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so Vince, I know you're, I know you're around a lot of people who are, are part of deliverance ministries, those who, for example, are casting out demons out of self-professed believers. So believers who claim the name of Christ, but claim they have a demon, as an example. So I'm assuming there have been some pushback to these events, these miracles, these healings. Has anyone ever told you that you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit by denying these miraculous works? No, they definitely have. Not a lot of times because they kind of know where I stand beforehand. So I get invited to events where sometimes this thing, these things happen after. And um, it really grieves me to the point where I have spoke up and I have told them, you know, what they're doing is, is basically blasphemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so one time I was at this event and they were on this girl asking demons to leave for like about an hour. And um, I was there through the whole event. There was no gospel presentation. So when I finally got time to talk to the people that were leading this and creating the circus, basically everybody was just around watching and filming live on their phones. I was like, do you know what just happened if she was truly delivered by from a demon? I said, Jesus gave this, this parable that... I don't know if it's a parable or not, but he, he Jesus said this, that when the house is cleaned, right, and the demon leaves, and it doesn't find a place, to, I'm just paraphrasing, it doesn't mm-hmm. find a place to dwell, it comes back with seven more wicked and finds the house empty. I go, if there's no gospel presentation, you're leaving them in a worse condition by, quote unquote, casting out these demons. And with no gospel presentation, like, there's, they're not hearing true deliverance and that's through the gospel and so yeah they do push back and a lot of people distance themselves from me that that believe in that and I also distance myself from it but I do I will take an opportunity if if something like that's going on to present 
the truth, the truth that sets people free, you know, and that's why I also say, you know, with the spirit of the Lord, there's freedom and Jesus came to give the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's not being proclaimed in these ministries from what I've seen. Yeah. And it's a, uh, an incredible disservice to the people who, who have our ear, right? We, we are given this incredible privilege to minister to these people who are genuinely, genuinely broken, who are being tormented. And we have the ability to share the good news that saved us, right? The person of Jesus Christ came to, to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law. And through that fulfilled law, we as redeemed sinners, we are able to benefit from his perfect righteousness, Amen. right? We're able to benefit based off of someone else's perfect obedience. And that's grace. Yes. That's grace indeed. And so, bro, as we, as we close out, uh, for those who are listening, who have listened this far, who have experienced these, these, uh, I really want to talk about this a little bit, just a okay. little bit more for sure. So what I see is at these deliverance meetings, you know, the ones I've seen personally, and also the ones I've seen online, the people that are in the audience, they genuinely, gen, genuinely really want to stop sinning. Mm-hmm. So these people are telling them because they struggle with sin that they're possessed by a demon and they're really coming with the heart of really wanting to be holy. And these guys are just making money off a ministry that doesn't exist in the Bible because the Holy Spirit will not share residence with anything that's unholy. That's why it's the blood of Jesus that makes us right, that makes us just. That makes us righteous, and it's by the, the work of the Spirit. I think it's a new, a new. I think it's another form of workspace salvation, right? Because, like you said, people genuinely want to stop sinning, yeah. and there's a reason for that, right? They want to fellowship with God, and I think what what these uh, pastors, ministers, you know, faith healers, whatever you want to call them, what they end up doing is start pointing the dial towards themselves. They start looking inward. But we as Christians, even considering both of the, you know, quote unquote sacraments that we practice, they're both to look outside of us, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? It is an outward sign that we can constantly look to and partake in to remind us of the person who fulfilled everything on our behalf. Yes. So in it, I think the 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 error that these you know pastors leaders in the community, the thing that they end up depriving their community of, is Jesus. We look to Him to be healed. We look to Him to grow in His likeness and more and be further conformed into His image. We look to Him because He's the one that that accomplished all of that on our behalf, and we just receive it. Yeah, what well, I, well, I think the issue is, is that the reason why these same people are coming up to the altar time after time and traveling to go to these deliverance meetings is because they don't, they never heard the gospel. So I would like to share the gospel right now. Absolutely. That's, so, that's so, what we'll so, end with. So what, what it is, is so, so people come and they want, they have a desire for holiness, a desire to stop doing all these things that they're taught not to do now as a Christian. And they come to these deliverance ministries looking for the answer, but the answer is never given. And Jesus is the answer. 
And people don't realize that these sins and these things they struggle with is, is evidence that they need a Savior. So I'm going to share the gospel. And the gospel is, is that Christ came to save sinners. So if you struggle with sin, you qualify. If you sin, you qualify. And, you know, God's standard of, of righteousness is perfection. And there was only one that was perfect. We can never earn our salvation. We can never be perfect enough. We can never um, not sin enough because we've all broken God's standard of righteousness. And we know that if we break even one of the commands, we break them all according to the Bible. So we know that the wages of sin is death. So because of our, of our sin, we deserve death. And we know that there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So God, being graceful, being merciful, came down from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven. Um, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and that truth will set you free. You ask, how do we obtain this freedom, this, this righteousness? It's, it's by grace, right? We don't deserve it. Um, there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's a free gift from God, and it's obtained through faith. Even faith is a grace. Even repentance is, is a gift. Because a dead man, a dead man can't repent, but God made us alive in Christ. He says we're born again from above, right? So he gives us the faith to believe. Romans 12, 3 says he dealt us a measure of faith. We put that faith in, in Christ and what he did. He, the, the Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin so we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? And he begins the work and he completes the work. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's him who works in us. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly working on us, constantly conforming us into the image of Christ as we behold him. And it's all by grace. So I would say, harden not your heart today. Repent and believe the gospel. And repentance is twofold. It's not just turning from your sin, but it's even turning from your self-righteousness because the Bible says no one is good. No, not one, right? Jesus even said, um, you being evil, give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give us good gifts if we ask? So just ask, seek, ask, knock, and, the, and God will answer. And the, the simple fact that you feel conviction in your heart, the simple fact that you might be asking these questions, am I um, committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that you're being convicted of sin, that's perfect evidence that God is calling you. He said you can't come to the Father unless He draws you. So come and, and repent and just believe because he's given you the faith to believe and Jesus will finish the work in you. Amen. And that is the same Jesus that you and I both delight in and encourage anyone listening to delight in as well. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate this conversation. Uh, it's been a long time coming and I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you for inviting me. So thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Don't Knock It podcast. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. If you listen on Spotify, make sure you follow and click the bell icon to get notifications for new episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show if you haven't already. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez. Grace and peace, family. Peace.